The serious value of hyper-real prepper fiction. It's not until you read a story and you really get engrossed into a character who's suffering through hypothermia and then walks you through the steps of the shivering and then is trying to make that fire that maybe you put together, wow, that's not like it says in the Boy Scout manual. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in 3, 2, 1. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over at Prepping 2.0, along with my co-host, Glenn Tate. Hi, Glenn. Hey, how are you? I'm just peachy. Hey, this is great. This is a rare evening recording. We usually record in the mornings, and we were very glad to get... Charlie Hogwood on. He is a prepper fiction and nonfiction author. And we're going to talk mm. about that. One of the things we're going to talk about isn't just his, his books and stuff like that, which are very interesting. What we're going to talk about is uh, we're going to lace throughout this discussion what preppers can learn from prepping fiction. We all know what you can learn from prepping nonfiction. But what I mean, why do prepping books matter to preppers? And I think the answer is you learn a ton of stuff, um, and we'll elaborate on that. But we have the top 100, which is our list of top 100 things that go the quickest in a crisis. This is on our website, prepping2-0.com, on the right side, prepping2-0.com. We're up to number 85. What is number 85? Folks, number 85 is lumber. Uh, Good idea to get some extra lumber or some scrap lumber or uh, just lumber for the need to build things, to need to repair things, to... uh, Board up windows. Board up windows. Yeah. Right. And this, again, this list I always like to mention was created by those who survived the Bosnian collapse back in uh, the early 90s. Early 90s, yeah. Yeah. Which is like, oh my gosh, a long time ago. 30 years. Um, But I would also say lumber too. And I think it was one of something else that was on the list is firewood. Yeah. A little bit different. Lumber is obviously treated, it's been planed, it's been, but yeah, I think it's very important. So yeah. And I would think, think basic things like nails and some braces and things like that. Stay tuned. There's more things on the list. Like 15 more things. Yes. That's right. Hey, I wanted to mention lurkers. Lurkers come out of the shadows. And what we mean by that is there are a lot of folks that listen to the regular show. Thank you, by the way. We love it. And the regular show, it can be on the radio. We're on several radio stations. It could be on YouTube, uh, Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher. YouTube. We mentioned YouTube. Yeah. And so you listen to the regular show and it cuts off. And then you say, I hear so many good things about the after show. I would love to listen to the after show, but there's such a high hurdle. There's such a difficult thing to listen to the after show. It's $2 a month. It's not that high of a hurdle. You guys should become Patreon supporters, and you can go to prepping2-0.com and learn how to do that. So if you're a lurker and you're in the shadows, come on out of the shadows and be a Patreon, enjoy the after show, and a bunch of other stuff that I'm not going to give you the long list, but you can enjoy a bunch of other stuff by becoming a Patreon. So thank you very much. Okay, well, let's get to what really matters, and that is our guest. We love Charlie. Charlie, let me get his bio right here. Excuse me. Very inartful on my part. So Charlie Hogwood, and it's Charlie L-E-Y if you want to go Google him. Charlie Hogwood, he spent the last 10 years working as a consultant in the preparedness community. And he's the author of a nonfiction book called The Survival Group Handbook, How to Plan, Organize, and Lead People for Short and Long-Term Survival. That seems like a pretty important topic and something there's not a lot of books out there on. And then also, in addition to that nonfiction book, The Survival Group Handbook, Charlie has also written uh, two fiction books, The Unraveling and The Road Trials. And we have links to both, or to all three of those books in the show notes. And another thing, well, two other things about Charlie that I find interesting. Charlie is one of our colleagues. He's a PrepperNet expert council member. We love PrepperNet, PrepperNet.com. Great folks. And they have an expert council that advises them on stuff. And Charlie's on that along with us. Another thing, cool thing about Charlie, I did not know this until he told me, he was in the United States Army and he was a scout. He was a cavalry scout. Hmm. And that that designation for that career field is 19 Delta. You're not going to believe this, Charlie. You're the third 19 Delta I've ever met. There's a chapter, there's a character, and two chapters in my books about a 19 Delta 
that does some really cool, amazing stuff. So I love Cavalry Scouts. So very nice to have you. Can you say hi to our folks? Hey, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn and Shelby. So happy to be here and uh, represent the 19 Delta community. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah, there's a bunch of you. Um, we'll start off with some questions here. Uh, just as a, as a foundational question, now, are you a real prepper or do you just kind of sit in a big city condo and write books? Which is it? <laughs> well, I, I came up the hard way. Uh, I came up when prepping wasn't even cool. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So I started this way back uh, after traveling around the world and being in the army and seeing what happens in other countries and how things go. I realized it might not be a bad idea to, to set aside a couple of things, you know, nothing serious. And I lived in hurricane country down in South Florida at the time. So it was a good idea to have some stuff and it kind of just took off from there. And I kind of enjoyed it as a hobby. And here we are now. I'm, <laughs> I'm a little overboard. Maybe <laughs> you're, you're an expert on the expert council of PrepperNet. Another question for yeah. you. Why don't you tell us about the survival group handbook? This seems very interesting to me. Well, the, here's the thing, the survival group handbook, when I uh, started out doing consulting stuff, cause I had been doing it, I, as a non-business for a, for a very long time. And, and then and when you say saying, consulting, you know, you really should sorry to interrupt, when you that. say consulting, yeah, what do you mean by that? I, I know what you mean, but when, what kind of consulting? Well, we had, I had a lot of people asking me, you know, how to do this. What is food storage? What is, what are the areas of survival they should be thinking about? How much should they set aside? What kind of skills should they learn? So it turned into a thing where somebody said, hey, I'll pay you to come out and, and talk to our mm. group. Yeah. And that's kind of where it, it took off. And I was going to write a book anyway. I wanted to write a, something. Uh, I was really going to write a book on kids' survival, honestly, because I was really big into you know the Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts and all that. And um, my, my web guy actually came to me one day and he said, hey, I would like for you to write a book or consider writing a book on how to put groups together. And because at that time I was going through a lot of emergency management training and working with the EOC and, and so forth, I was going through and understanding what mutual assistance compacts are and, and how fire departments and police departments work with each other across county lines and city lines. So I, I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll put all that into words and convert it over to more of a survival theme. And uh, that's where MAGS came from, which was the first version of the survival group handbook, MAGS, Mutual Assistance Groups. And most everybody's heard the word MAGS now in, in our survival community. I started that. That's where That was oh, my cool. first book. Hmm. That wasn't even a thing until I made it into the – I put it on a title. I actually borrowed that from emergency management. So here we go. That's my stamp on, on the planet. <laughs> You're, so, you've coined a phrase. Coined a phrase, yeah, and I, I've coined another one. I'll tell you about. We'll get to it later on. That uh, we'll see if it takes off. Okay, but, um, we'll leave that's people hanging. What happened? You know, and you mentioned mutual assistance groups. It's such a vital part of prepping. We are always saying you can't do this on your own. We refer now that we're on episode hundred plus right now. Uh, whatever this one is, and we move around the episode number, so we're actually not sure what episode number this will be, but. We're going to, you're going to notice this, regular listeners, we're going to be going back and referring to episodes that we've done on particular topics because we get the same question over and over again. And in many cases, we've devoted about two hours uh, to it. And so episode 67 of Prepping 2.0 was Tribe, Team, and Mutual Assistance Groups with Bear from Bear Independent. It was a great show. We got into all these things. I just want to emphasize how important it is to not only have a mutual assistance group, but put a lot of thought into it. And there's probably not a mathematical formula about how to do it by any means, but put some effort and thought into it because, you know, you wouldn't just like, I mean, th these people, it's kind of like you're getting married to them, especially mm -hmm. when the stuff right. hits the fan. Uh, the, the decisions you make and the characters you involve yourself with are going to be really, really vital and important. And it's important to pick a good one. It's kind of like getting married. So you wouldn't just like do that willy nilly. So don't just do mutual assistance groups willy nilly. Well, I wanted to let folks know about one of our sponsors, which is EMP Shield. That, of course, stands for uh, electromagnetic pulse. EMP Shield uh, makes a device that wires into something and protects it from an EMP. Uh, you can go onto our website, prepping2-0.com, on the Friends and Affiliates tab. You'll see an EMP Shield logo. Click on that. Use the uh, the discount code prepping 2.0 and you get 50 bucks off 
one of those. So we thank you, EMP Shield. You guys have been awesome. Back to the questions for Charlie. Charlie, what's more fun to write, fiction or nonfiction? Well, uh, I started out writing nonfiction, and um, that's a lot like doing English homework. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I... Uh, something gave me the bug to try a fiction story and I really enjoy it so much more because you can just let the voices run and play and get in your zone and just have a great time with it. You're not bound to as tight uh, when uh, play with facts and so yeah. forth and take a little Liberty and uh, have a little bit more fun. Things might be a little bit more extra on a, when you write fiction. So yeah, it's a lot more fun to write fiction work. Boy, and I can concur with that. I don't have a nonfiction prepping book out there. Not a lot of people know this and I'm not going to give any details because I'm very mysterious about, you know, my real identity. I've actually written a legal book, like a legal reference book on a particular law. And I write a lot of legal briefs. And can I just tell you, that's not fun. It is not fun. It is not creative. It is so much more fun to just let your your mind flow and all these amazing people you've met and cool experiences you've had to just kind of connect all those dots and let it flow. Yeah, it is it is a lot more fun. That being said, um, we're going to come out whenever we write it. And who knows when that is? Let's be really honest. I mean, we might be in a war. Actually, by the time you hear this episode, we could be in the middle of a war. We don't know. Um, so we're going to do our best, and that's a nonfiction book on food preps called Food Preps 2.0, all the stuff we've learned, kind of a, the systems of it. But I, I bring up the nonfiction topic to say, the prepper nonfiction topic to say, it's really important for you guys to read prepper nonfiction books because there's so much experience out there. Why reinvent the wheel? And again, the stakes are so high about not having water that makes everybody sick and that sort of thing. So I, I don't think we give enough um, attention to prepper nonfiction. So when, I'm going to jump in here and, and give a wholehearted yes to that. Um, and I think Charlie would agree with me. When I go, when I go to prepping expos and events, much like Charlie, we were talking about one that he was at recently before this. Is I go to the I go to the book dealer. There's always a book dealer at one of these mm-hmm. places, and I look for those books that you're never going to find. In a bookstore. Are there bookstores anymore? Are you allowed to go in them? I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah. But you're not going to find, you know, how to tan fur. <laughs> Tanning right. practices 101. How to, you know. Yeah. You find a lot of books by Oprah. Yeah. No, yeah, you do. You, yeah. You find a lot. Of, yeah. And uh, whatever. Books that I will never buy. But in terms of my reference manuals, mm-hmm. I, I do buy. And you know that. You can attest for me. Yeah. I think every... Every prepper, but really every mutual assistance group needs to have a reference library. Mm -hmm. I really think so. And obviously, obviously it needs to be hard copy. Well, enough about that. Um, Charlie, uh, this this question and answer fascinates me. I've I've heard different answers from different people and they're always good. So expectations are high, sir. Um, What can preppers learn from prepper fiction? Well, I think I'll, let me see if I can give you the non-traditional answer. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the traditional one is okay. You can you can hear how to do things in context, perhaps. But I think one of the things that you can learn from it is what drives people into bad decision making. So when you're reading a story, it's kind of like it, it's almost like watching a scary movie. It's like don't go in the attic or you know get out of the basement, and and but they do it anyway. And when it comes to prepper fiction, you can almost see the setup to a bad decision. And I think by putting it into a story type of context, when you go to really experience it, I think that might parallel your real life activity a little bit closer than just reading a nonfiction. Okay, this is what I got to do. Because, yes, it's very important to learn how to make fire and cold weather and rain and all that kind of stuff. But it's not until you read a story and you really get engrossed into a character who's suffering through hypothermia and then walks you through the steps of the shivering and then is trying to to make that fire that maybe you put together, wow, that's not like it says in the Boy Scout manual where you just rub some sticks together and we're all good. Uh, So I think that's why and how you can learn a little bit more. You can reinforce and maybe get over your confirmation bias and these other biases that you have where you've read or watched a YouTube video and you think you got it all figured out. So 
I'll go with that answer and um, and say that you can re- you can learn from an in context type of situation what does work, what's not going to work, and when you're jumping up and down and saying no, don't do that. Yeah, you know <laughs> exactly. Very exactly. good. Very good. So agree with that. So real quick, we just want to give another great shout out to one of our great sponsors, Numana Foods. They are the the hallmark of uh, freeze-dried bulk foods. They also offer special dietary needs. Uh, they've been a great sponsor of Prepping 2.0. And as a result, they're giving uh, Prepping 2.0ers a great little coupon code. Go over to our website, uh, prepping2-0.com. Click on Friends and Affiliates. You'll see their logo there. Use the coupon code PREP and you will get 10% off your order. And I want to throw this in there. Go over to our Friends and Affiliates yeah, page. Yeah, just look at all the folks. There's Lots of coupon codes over there, but wanted to highlight New Mana. They do a great job and a great way to stock up on long-term food preps in a bulk manner. Yeah. Okay. So, and another question for you, Charlie. We're just rolling along here. How did you manage? Well, I should let me back up and say this. I have given Shelby the Nostradamus Award. It was awarded by me. It has really no meaning other than it was awarded by me because in her books she predicted she wrote these in 2016 about antifa and wildfires in portland being a complete riots being completely Crime. messed up and the police being so i gave her the, the nostradamus award the president and the governor being going at it going because, at yeah. it all these things so i think charlie you might be a, a rival candidate for the <laughs> nostradamus award how did you manage to design a contagion so much like covid before it was a real thing in your books well, so the first book of the Bound to Survive series called The Unraveling is it came out before COVID came out. And what I wanted to do was create the, the series about everyday people that got together and had to survive some sort of a thing. And I decided to call it The Unraveling for the fabric of society kind of thing. And I'm thinking, well, how can I do that? that would that would be believable but can get to the point and be be more realistic like some I, almost where you feel like okay matt damon's gonna come running out and, you know <laughs> sign up for the movie like in contagion uh so what i did is I, I researched a lot of influenza i took a lot of my experience dealing with emergency management and mass prophylaxis and all of the you know the the different things that they prepare for at the FEMA and Homeland Security level and said, okay, what is it they're afraid of? And I said, okay, now let me dig into that. And I came up with a version of something that was as, as, as dangerous as the avian flu as contagious as hmm. Ebola, maybe even more so. But I, I, the problem with Ebola was, is that it, it's a 21 day incubation period. All you gotta do is put somebody in a room and wait and see if they got it. You can separate them. I wanted people to be contagious almost immediately and be asymptomatic so that this thing could just blow up throughout, you know, the population. And by doing that, and it starts off with some human trafficking and some issues with Venezuela and so forth that, that snuck in across the border. And that's what it did. It blew up and caught everybody unaware during flu season. And I wanted that disease to just really, take off and turns out <laughs> that <laughs> the COVID-19 when it first started I was I was tracking it in January I said oh we better start watching this the book was already out and uh and it had a lot of the very same characteristics with asymptomatic contagion uh it was shadowing the normal flu season uh and it actually gets called the shadow flu in the first book and that's where it took off. And I've got I've gotten some some pushback by why did I prognosticate such a pandemic? We've only been very lucky that it didn't turn out to be mm-hmm. so far as deadly in the mutations uh, as mine does. Now the COVID had a they were figuring about 16 days uh, before it was uh, it could become fatal for certain people. Uh, 14 days. Mine was 16 days. So the real one was 14 days. Mine mm-hmm. was 16 days before. Uh, you either get better or you keel over and convulse. So that's and, and a lot of things match it. The social distancing, the the quarantine issues, all of that stuff, uh, how people were like, oh, no, it'll pass. It's just the flu. 
well, you'll see a lot of those parallels, and uh, well, here we are. <laughs> well, it sounds like you you cooked up an imaginary worst case scenario virus, and it sounds like the Chinese actually made it and uh, unleashed it on us. No, I'm just kidding. No, actually, I'm being well, very, you know, very there truthful. Is some, there is some corporate conspiracy in there once you dig into the book a little bit. So who's pulling those strings? <laughs> we'll have to see. Exactly. Wanted to mention another sponsor, Backwoods Home. This is a great magazine. Comes out quarterly. It is kind of a reference piece. We keep them all there on our coffee table, and we go back and refer to them. Uh, it's so great to get something in the mail, by the way, like a hard copy kind of thing. And if you go on our Friends and Affiliates page, prepping2-0.com, you will see their logo, and you enter the coupon code 6OFF, and it's $6 off for a year. Well, we have about three minutes before we break for our first segment. Of course, we'll be back after that, and, and Patreons will hear us in the after show. So I'm going to ask you a big question, and we're probably going to have to cut you off in about three minutes, but uh, see what you can come up with, Charlie. That is this. Where do you find your inspiration for your writing? Well, you know, I started in the fiction world, uh, the nonfiction world, thinking I could write my way out of things and everything would be fine. And then I started participating in the prepper world. And by participating, I mean, I have met people from both, I mean, from coast to coast, top and bottom, side to side in this country, and at expos, at training, at uh, the, just the numerous groups and different types of things that I've, I've interviewed for my, for my writing. And there are so many characters. You've seen them. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've, I've had the, the pleasure and, and less pleasure to meet so many, so many of the people that we've all seen on TV. And you're like, wow, that is crazy. <laughs> uh, a lot of the doomsday prepper type people that some of them are actually really nice. They just got taken advantage of, uh, on the TV, but that's where I get the inspiration is actually being out, being involved in this industry and my real life, you know, uh, before then as a, as a husband, as a father, as a business owner, as a contractor, uh, so many of those experiences in the military. And I said, you know what, I can, I should just draw on all of this. A lot of the characters in the book are, they come from people I know where I've met the craziest of the people that you read in this series <laughs> are actual real inspirational people, <laughs> mm -hmm. that, maybe not inspirational, but they were inspired by real people. And the names are changed to <laughs> protect all of us. Exactly. But uh, guillotine guy and all of those, those are all very real people uh, that I've met along the way. Yeah, that was our, our experience too. We, we just had all these interesting friends, uh, mine in particular, about 97% of the people in book one of my series are all real. I do this thing where, uh, you know, I have this really creative character. He's this six foot Korean gunfighter who sells insurance. And everyone's like, that's crazy. You're so creative. And then we'll do this at expos. His and name's Pow in the is. books. And we'll sit there and we'll say, yeah, you know, crazy six foot Korean gunfighter sells insurance named Pow. Isn't that crazy? And he'll be at the back of the room. I'll say, hey, Pow, introduce yourself to everybody. And they look at him and they go, Oh my goodness, this is real. I had no creativity with characters. They were all just people I knew, but I kind of <laughs> yeah. stitched them all together. Well, we are coming up on a break, and we are going to come back with Charlie Hogwood. We're going to talk more about prepper fiction, what you can learn from it, all kinds of cool experiences. Charlie's done a lot in this industry. He's got a lot of good knowledge, so stick around and get yourself some more good knowledge. More of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Looking to meet other like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own prepper group? Already have a group? Join PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet has gathered the biggest names in the industry to help unite preppers everywhere. Join John Jacob Schmidt, Scott Hunt, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, Glenn Tate, Shelby Gallagher, Charlie Hogwood, Samuel Culper, Survivor Jane, Rick Austin, Franklin Horton, Ryan Mitchell, and Brian Duff. Our team is united. Check us out at PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. PrepperNet.com. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times, the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love Numana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. 
Numana comes in family style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to newmana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself and save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Abe Lincoln here. In 1773, patriots broke the chains of British tyranny by throwing tea into Boston Harbor. On that day, Americans began drinking coffee. We celebrate that event daily here at Minutemen Coffee. All men are created equal. (laughs) Coffee is not. Minutemen Coffee is roasted to perfection in small batches. Old, smooth, and never bitter. Shipped to you fresh daily. Whole bean, ground, or our patented pods. www.minutemencoffee.com Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome back, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, along with my co-host, Glenn Tate. And we have with us today author Charlie Hogwood, uh, fellow uh, dystopian author. And fellow PrepperNet expert council member. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got to stick together. Mm -hmm. So before I ask... Like a gang. I know. It's like a thing. Mm -hmm. So before I jump into my next question, and I really am excited to ask him this... Do one last mention or one final mention of one of our great sponsors, Minute Men, plural, Minute Men Coffee. Check them out at MinutemenCoffee.com. Good luck on yeah. any given day. If you want to go on social media and find them on Facebook, they keep getting deplatformed and, and unpublished by Facebook. But for, for selling coffee, golly. I mean, what's that all about? Holy well, anyway, yeah. don't get me started. Mm-hmm. I'm going to end up starting a whole other show topic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to our website, again, go to prepping2-0.com, click on Friends and Affiliates, click on the, click on their logo. It'll take you to their website, which is great. And use the, the words, I miss America. When you check out, you'll get 15% off. And you can also be sure to add to your order the I Miss America blend. Yes, because that's the coolest one. That's the coolest one. And I'm not kidding. It's delicious. It's really good coffee. (laughs) So, Charlie, I'm so excited that you're here because um, it sounds to me, and and I'm going to fully, full disclosure, I've not read Charlie's books, but I want to now because his, his... what he writes about t- or ends up in headlines, kind of like me. So mm-hmm. I feel like we're a kindred spirit. So, um, so question, why do you, and I think I know the answer to this, Charlie, but it's always interesting to ask other people, why do you weave current events and headlines into your writing? What, what is your reason for doing that? I know mine. What are well, yours? Mm-hmm. Well, my primary reason is because I'm a news junkie and the, I just feel that it brings another level of realism and and accuracy to a story just as i use real places you know in the geographical terms i like to use the real headlines because people can say well that sounds really familiar i just saw that on the news the other day and i want to make the story feel real 
And mm-hmm. in all of the things that we've gone through in recent years, from disasters to to wars and insurgencies and all this other stuff that we're dealing with, it it's it's real. And mm-hmm. I want you to get you know engrossed in these characters and feel their pain and relate to them. And also, I want when you read this when you read the story, I want you to feel so close to the story that you can then see how close these problems really are and how interconnected they are mm-hmm. and the interdependencies between the the pandemics and the, and again, this was started before this pandemic came out. I, I tried to create the situation and it mm-hmm. turns out that everything that happened in there, because it was real, ran parallel to real life. I had so many people, well, we all know Forrest over at PrepperNet, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, I read your book and I got to wash my hands a hundred times <laughs> <laughs> because because it felt so real. And that's, and that's really the reason why, because I want you to embrace it and, and confuse the reality with the fantasy. You know, and there's two schools of thought on this. Um, I adopted the other one, not to say it was right or wrong, but what I was trying to do, and candidly, uh, my editors convinced me to do this. I didn't initially want to do it. And that is to make things more, quote, timeless, right? And not have specific things in there so it could apply at any time. And so what I did was I followed their advice. And then the other thing was I kept on, you'll you'll find this funny, I would come up with stuff that wasn't even close to the current headlines. Now, I wrote mine quite a while ago. It was like 2012. Um, and But I would make up these crazy things that weren't like going on because I was like, well, this will make it timeless. And then I'm not trying to compliment myself. All three of us on this show are Nostradamus Award mm-hmm. winners because I've just awarded it to all three of us. But um, yeah, started all these things have come true. And much like Shelby, I know I've talked to her about this and she's mentioned this on the show. She wasn't trying to project what was going to happen. She just made, made up wild scenarios to illustrate other things, to illustrate how human beings are, to illustrate how things work. And it wasn't a conscious, uh, that's probably why it worked for all three of us. It wasn't a conscious attempt to predict the future because that that's impossible. We just told stories and created settings and to varying degrees, all of our totally wild made up settings have come true. And that's, that's amazing. So I, I like your approach. And mm-hmm. my approach worked for something that was written so long ago. So there you have it. Well, Shelby, what's uh, what's what's another question you have for so, Charlie? Okay, this is a great one. I didn't have this problem so much as Glenn did because I, I learned to not write it. I didn't. I wasn't going to write a ten book series because that was just seemed too dumb. big. It seemed, it seemed like dumb. a really long project. Because only dumb people would do that. So mm-hmm. how do you keep track of such a large group of characters, Charlie? This is and and I'm saying this to all you aspiring writers out there. You need to do yeah. this. So. Charlie, what's your secret? Well, I in, I've got ten and sometimes fifteen different characters that I'm I'm tracking, and that's for, for my mind. It it does get a little convoluted sometimes because you know trying to keep time and trying to keep place and everything organized in some kind of uh, you know order, it does get complicated. But each of the main characters are essentially people I know. And that helps me. And that I feel lends a a little bit of credibility to their voices because I know how they speak. I know their body languages and, and I know what they do and how they act in a lot of these situations. You might recognize the, the doctor and the nurse in this, in this story, because it is actually, they're based on very dear friends of mine, uh, Dr. Bones and nurse Amy. So, and I know them so well, and I have for many years that, it's easier to keep track on them. Uh, yeah. The the other guys that are in the story are all based off of people I know, so I, I can I can really track them a little bit better. But it does get complicated to keep them introduced into the story. So sometimes I'll I'll deal with my editor and come back and say, "Where'd this person come from? I haven't seen them in the first half of the book." So you got to go back and you got to you know add them in somewhere and keep them on the on the tip of people's mind, or they get you know, they, they get lost in the crowd somewhere. So that becomes a challenge. But that's that's really what it boils down to is uh, if you know the people and you can I, – I write out biographies 
for every character hmm. and every main character, I actually write a biography, all of their mannerisms, what they look like, what they talk like, what they do when, you know, what year they were born kind of things. And then I do a summary of that. And that allows me to become friends and familiar with them in such a way that I can call them to my mind. And then I can switch into their voice as I write. So hmm. that's, that's my strategy. Here's a question for you. When you, you write a book series and some of the characters, or maybe even a lot of the characters are actual people you know. Here's the question. Do you let people know, the real life people, that they're in a book series? Because because I did with the people who were good and did good stuff. And some of the people who I know who I had doing evil stuff, and it was pretty obvious to anyone that knew that person that it was that person I was really talking about. I didn't want them to see that I made them I basically describe what I think they're really like. Mm -hmm. So what about that? I mean, do you let people know when they're in a book or do you hide it from some people? <laughs> well, sometimes, yes. I, you know, I, I let them know that I'm, I'm using them uh, or, or their likeness in some you know loose fashion. But I also use the opportunity for the evil people, for the people that are a problem, the people that are just jerks. Those are real people that I've met in my life mm -hmm. along the way that allows me to, to kind of stick it to the man <laughs> and then tell them <laughs> maybe that that they were the inspiration for this pain in the butt character. Um, I don't know. It just uh, just because that natural frustration with somebody when you think of their name comes to mind, it's so much easier to write them in as jerky type of people. Uh, the people you love to hate. And, you know, that's just kind of what it worked for me. There are a couple of people that have kind of sideswiped me through life that I gave them cameos. And I said, hey, look, I put you in a book. <laughs> yeah. And mm -hmm. they, they might not have liked me, but they're in a book, you know. And most people be like, oh, well, that's, that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's it. So uh, one of the things that I did in my book, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a kind of a, an out of left field question here, Charlie. Um, I did a combining people where mm. I there's two people in my life that remind me of each other, and I and I kind of would combine them so that I could get a better idea, like what you just said, so that I can speak like they would speak, or how would this person answer this question or act in this scenario? And I kind of borrow from two people, so I'm wondering. I did that quite a bit because it helped me to develop characters. I think a little faster and better. I don't know that Glenn did that, but have you ever done that? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. Um, on a couple of my main characters, I exactly did that. Hmm. I took some of the some of the personality traits of two different people and I mixed them together to make it a little bit more. I don't know, maybe a little bit more exaggerated, mm -hmm. a little bit more fun. And it, it allowed, like, for example, some of my personality traits I put into the sidekick that's based on a friend of mine. And because now I can put in his head how I would feel about something, and I could write that a little bit more to my liking and and really flesh out that character some more. So you're you're absolutely right. And I think it's... I thought maybe I was the only one done it. It just came natural to mm -hmm. me to start mixing and blending uh, different parts and different traits. Interesting. Very good. So uh, here's, I'm going to put you on the spot. Not really. No. You know, you, you know, I'm going to ask, <laughs> ask you this question. Will there be more books to come in the Bound to Survive series? And how many maybe? The in, well, the intention for this series was really only to do three. I didn't, you know, we, you were just talking about writing 10 books and, you know, I like, uh, I know Chris, uh, you know, Angry American, and he's got a long series of books. I'm like, man, I don't know. <laughs> Do I want to write that long of a series? It just, I think I, after a while, I was just watching a TV show and they were talking about that. Eventually, you're, you know, your your brother is a gorilla. Somebody said that on a show <laughs> I saw recently, you know, if you if you're too far with it. And I, I don't want to do that. So I mm -hmm. think I was going to stick to in this series three. I'm already working on the third one now. And I'll see how it goes at the end of this because it's gone way different than the story arc has changed since I started writing this. And when I first came up with this idea, I said, I know I can do one. I think I can do two, but I really want to do a trilogy. I just don't see it in my head yet. 
And I was entering into this thinking, how am I going to get this third book written? I don't, I don't know what my story is. But that's the fun of fiction. Mm, yeah. You live it, you read it, you go through it, and then you're like, wait, now I see a path. I see a very exciting path to take this uh, around a corner into something completely different. I've already, you know, already unraveled society. Now <laughs> I can create something else entirely different and still keep it plausible. So I think that's where we are right now. We're going to stick with the third one, but we'll see. Oh, very good. That's exciting to hear because, uh, I mean, I ended mine in a three book series and I felt like I ended it well, but now I have people screaming that about three or four characters that they felt like that weren't wrapped up well enough. So I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to sit here and cogitate on this for about 10 years and maybe, no, I'm Yeah, and you got you to think, well, did I leave it on something that I can realistically, you know, mm-hmm. reawaken it? You know, so right. that's, yeah, we'll see how it goes. There you go. So, all right. Uh, uh, and you kind of answered this, but just so that people know, what are your, so you're going to wrap up this Bound to Survive series. We'll see what happens. By the way, do you have an, do you have an ETA on that? Do you have an idea, or are you still working on it? You sound like I'm an editor. I'm still working on it. You sound Actually, like an I just got Shelby. started on it recently. Okay, I do I've sound been like involved an in some other projects, so it's going to be a little bit yet. It's not going to be in in the next couple of months for sure. We so, can relate to uh, this. We can relate. And then the bound to survive came from really based on groups. Uh, they are mm. bound together, bound to survive, and that's that's why I came up with that. And the idea with that was to not have any ninjas, no superheroes, Thank no, you. no fantasies. I wanted everyday average people who had to come together in this challenging time to try to figure this out. And hopefully they're, well, they're just bound to survive. That's, <laughs> that's where we are. You know, you mentioned no ninjas and this is the thing with me and I've described it uh, various ways. The, the most common way I describe it is, my books, and I'm not trying to sell my books. Uh, a lot of people maybe listening have heard them or read them, so there's nothing left to sell. But I'll say this. Um, I hate the comic book approach to prepper novels. And I just, I can't stand it because it's such a serious topic. And I view prepper fiction, as we were talking about, as a way to inform people and captivate them and get them to think and get them to actually do things for all the reasons you mentioned earlier, Charlie, like the context and they can see what's going on. So it's a valuable thing. The stakes are high. And then to have it turn into everybody's a SEAL Team 6 guy and everybody has a case of grenades under their bed that they stole from some military base. And I I don't like that stuff. So what I did, and it sounds like you did too, and, and, and I know Shelby did, the realism, real normal people who come together, who are bound together, as you would say in your mm-hmm. series, and they do extraordinary things, maybe extraordinarily good, maybe extraordinarily bad, but it's, it's that way of looking at how normal people who aren't on SEAL Team 6, right, which would be 99.99999% of people, how they adapt, how they do things, and that's what's really fascinating it's it's people it's not equipment and it's not crazy things where the space shuttle flies down and picks somebody up and takes them off to saturn or something like that so anyway thank you for doing it that way because as you can tell pretty passionate about doing it the the realistic way and also i think from feedback i've received shelby's received and you've probably received charlie tell us if this is true people appreciate realism they really do because I'll say it again, and, and I hope I'm not offending some of my my uh, you know prepper fiction colleagues. The comic book stuff uh, is is prevalent, and it needs not to be. I mean, if you like that stuff, go ahead and read it. But anyway, you've heard my rant. What do you think about that, Charlie? Well, I agree. You know, I think my purpose for doing it was is real people making real decisions. Uh, and paying the price for either poor decisions or poor preparedness, uh, they they worked to get squared away so that they could survive a disaster. But what happens when they start losing things? And in my stories, they have stuff and then they lose stuff. And you know, without giving away any secrets, that's realistic. You know, we we talk about lots of stuff, but do we have skills to survive in case we don't have stuff? And, you know, can we, there's a, there's a phrase that I use when I'm teaching courses 
on survival, and it's called graceful degradation. Mm. We all sit here in the air conditioning, and everything is easy. We can watch a YouTube video on how to fix just about anything or make fire and whatever. But what happens when you don't have that, when the air goes off and the power goes off and YouTube's not there to answer your questions? What happens as you start to fall back? You know, everybody wants to immediately go to, well, I got to rub sticks together to make fire. No, you don't. Take a lighter and don't mind yourself <laughs> in that position. Exactly. But what happens when the lighter no longer works? Now you've got to do the graceful degradation and fall back and say, okay, well, now I can make a fire 10 different ways with the stuff I can scavenge. So that's what my people in the in the books are forced to do. They they have their things, they lose their things, it gets you know burned, broken, taken, and you know Murphy's Law of survival is that the most skilled survivor died in the plane crash and all his gear burned up. What are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. So it's all it's just you. So that's where we are, and and my people. That's where I've I've bound my people to that ideology of, you know, figure it out. And figure it out together. And guess what? You're going to make some bad mistakes and, and people are going to get hurt and worse because of those decisions, because mm-hmm. of that complacency, because they they stopped paying attention to their security and all of a sudden to go to sleep at night, that kind of stuff. So. You know, the adaptability stuff you mentioned is so key. There's, there's a phrase. I know it's in the military. By the way, I've never been in the military. I don't want to imply that I have falsely. Um, and, and it is mindset, skill set tool set and that means in descending order of importance mindset is the most important skills are the next most important and then third and last are tools you know stuff isn't as important and by the way we were talking about uh my books we were talking about shelby's books and i wanted to let folks know we have episodes on that i have my episode sheet right here oh yeah yeah for those who are interested because we get a lot of new listeners every single show they may not know if you go back to episode 12 which aired on january 22nd 2019 you know why i remember that that was that's what we had we did book week that oh we, yeah are we and in partnership with written apocalypse which is a, a online book mm-hmm. group that we belong to again under friends and affiliates um we really highlighted their books we i believe we had d cooper that week from yeah no, this was the episode where uh glenn interviews shelby about right. her books and, and we, you talked all about like your books yeah it was part of the week yeah and then uh, episode 13, which aired the next day, back in 2019, when the world was different, uh, Shelby interviews back Glenn in about his books. And so if you're interested in those, in kind of the all the same questions we're asking Charlie, all the inspirations and stuff, go back and listen to those episodes um, because we won't you know, bore you with this is a show. This is a show about Charlie's books, not our books. But I just wanted to, to note the commonalities before um, – or, or between all those things. Well, and and I'm going to kind of jump back onto something Charlie said. I I get a lot of compliments in my book, and I'm glad. Again, full disclosure, I haven't read Charlie's books, but I've read enough prepper fiction of like what we just talked about, the SEAL Team Six, the comic like, book with, stuff. The, with the guy with the perfect woman who comes in and saves the day and finds his you know mutual assistance group at the local strip club, and because they're just <laughs> that's the a cool, good one. The, Try that as a storyline, yeah. Charlie. But it's there. Some, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Plan. I'm going to feel really. I'm going to feel really guilty here. But somebody sent me a transcript to read. Oh, well, tell me what you think. And I'm reading this. My I, I can't. I can't. I, I, uh, I can't do this. This is just the perfect. This is not how this isn't real life. So I appreciate that. And and this and the feedback that I get from my fans is probably very similar to yours is thank you for writing a book that is actually a what a real the real struggle, the real people, mm-hmm. what real people really go through. Mine obviously has a well, not no, obviously, but a, a female focused. So I get even more compliments on that because it's a male dominated um, genre, sadly, but um, I'm kind of geeking out here because we're talking to another author. I know, it's, it's weird. We never get to do this. I never, we never get to do this. So so I'm going to change gears here really quick. Uh, uh, so we're going to go to Charlie Hoggood. Real, Hogwood. Hogwood. Oh, my goodness. This is, I don't you have. Need caffeine. I do. I'm so sorry, folks. That's okay. I've, I've been called much worse. It's wow. no worries. Sorry. Charlie uh-huh. Hogwood. <laughs> Um, you have a lot of experience in real life, not fiction life, in the world of EOCs. And we have had a discussion. What is EOCs? What does EOC stand for, Charlie? The Emergency Operations Center. And it's a, it's a, tell, tell me what it that's is. That's essentially yes. where your emergency management offices and your first responders all um, get organized from. In your local municipalities. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yep. um, 
we've we've had the discussion on this show. Yeah, a debate, really, really a debate. Our Patreons debated this. Yes, preppers have come at EOCs sometimes, not always. This is where the debate is. With a little skepticism with EOCs, it's like, why would it's OPSEC? Why would I want to let a local government agency know about me, my preps, my, my, and this is often stuff. through the CERT program, mm-hmm. CERT, which is like citizen training, community I mean, emergency response team. Exactly. You see a program manager and a, and a training trainer for that program. Yes. So everybody. We're going to get the scoopy dupe from yeah. Charlie Hogwood. Mm-hmm. Pros and cons, good, bad. Tell us the ins and outs. Because a lot of folks listening are thinking, hey, if I can get a lot of good skills right. from the government, and if I can network, it might be a good idea. But as Shelby mentioned, they don't want to give away you know, their identity and stuff. What do you think about all this, Charlie? Because you obviously know the topic well. Well, part of part of when I work with groups is to get them trained up and to gather their intelligence. And just because you volunteer or participate in some fashion with local government, be it through a CERT program, through volunteer firefighting, police explorers, whatever the, whatever the arrangement is, why are you telling them you're OPSEC? Mm-hmm. You don't have to share with them that you store food, what your ideologies are, what your, feelings are what you are forecasting you're there to do the volunteer work or that employment and your privacy is your privacy now you're gaining so much more from working with this for example with the cert program i'm a cert program manager i actually am the director in my county for for cert programs it's a non-paid position I teach people the programs. I run the team. We do all kinds of stuff like wilderness search and rescue where we, we participate in real world missions. We do, I'm a volunteer firefighter and, and I'm, I'm advancing myself through all of these programs because it gives me information. It tells me what's going on around me. I learn by from the fire department where all the bad areas are. Uh, I work with area studies with Sam Culper and Forward Observer and wow. teach area study courses. And by doing that kind of stuff and by knowing what's going on around me, I've, I'm, inform- I'm informing myself. You go Great. to the fire department, they'll tell you where the bad neighborhoods are. Awesome. They'll tell you where the bad houses are. So they'll Charlie, tell you where all the bad things happen. I got to I got to do what we I hate gotta to do, do I got to give you the hook Hard here. clock for the radio. Real quick, tell folks where mm-hmm. they can reach you website you can reach me at readygoprep.com info at readygoprep.com you can reach me at charliehogwood.com uh you spell it either way it'll both come to me great and uh, author at charliehogwood.com for emails you can anything with ready go prep on all the social media that's where i am awesome so charlie's going to join us in the after show so patreons join us and in over the after it. show we're going to be doing mailbag questions wanted everyone to know about that wonderful yay Everyone have a great week. Don't forget, Benjamin Franklin says, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.